Inter Miami is off into the international break, but not in the way it would have wanted after another ugly defeat, another dreadful display, and some deserved boos and pointed words from fans. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, a.k.a. Miami Total Football Radio. I am one of the two co-hosts of this pod. I am Franco Panizo, and joining me, as always, is El Primo, the famous Primo, the beloved Primo, Steve Brenner. Steve, how are you doing today? Beloved, that's very nice. And you like my mother or something like that. That's <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel like I'm ten foot tall now, even though I'm only five foot nine. But uh, thank you. I'm doing doing well, better than I guess a lot of the fans. You know, the, the, the stadium was great. The, the stands were packed, and yet we were left devoid of any. Uh, Excitement or goals. Um, even a guy that I was when I was playing tennis last night, uh, he played on the adjacent court next to me. Was was telling his mate that you know he'd been to the game. He said it was awesome and he loved it and he loved the atmosphere and all that. But just the only one problem was is that maybe the the team stunk stunk the place out a little bit. But I'm sure we'll get into that. But yeah, wasn't wasn't great. But at least in the stands, um, it looked awesome. Yeah, no, the vibe was great. The atmosphere was electric. It's the best it's been inside a Drive Pink Stadium. Hopefully there's more days like that to come. But we'll talk about the fans and how they performed because they performed way better than the team. We'll touch on the team's latest showing in this 3-0 defeat to DC United. And we'll touch on the Matuidi Gate findings which happened last Friday and break that all down and explain what that might mean for Inter-Miami going forward if you're new to the pod give us a follow and give us a review if you have not already we really appreciate it and of course give us a follow on all our social media channels that's miami total football on youtube and facebook and at mia total football on instagram and twitter but let's get to it all right steve so as i just mentioned inter miami suffered a three to zero loss to DC United at home at Drive Pink Stadium in a game that was played in front of almost 16,000 fans. At least that, that was the announced crowd, a sellout crowd, due to still some limitations that are that are in place because of the game operations. But this was the lineup that Phil Neville went with for Inter-Miami. He deployed a new look, 3-5-2 formation. John McCarthy in goal. Nicolas Figal at right center back. Ryan Shawcross in as the center center back, the middle center back, Christian McCoon as the left center back. Uh, the right wing back was Lewis Morgan. The left wing back was Jovan Jones. You had Gregori at the six, and serving as joint number eights were Victor Ulloa and Blaise Matuidi. So up top, you also had Julian Carranza and Gonzalo Higuain as the joint number nines. That formation, we'll touch on that in just a little bit, but obviously Inter Miami loses this game. 3-0, they gave up two goals in the first 21 minutes. Ola Kamara scores first in the 15th minute. That's followed by a Paul Areola goal in the 21st. And then Ola Kamara gets his second of the day, of the night, in the second half, in the 71st minute, off a great cross from Paul Areola. 3-0, pretty emphatic victory for DC United, which had been in a bad way, and a pretty poor way for Inter Miami to go into this international break that will give them 21 days in between games. Steve, watching the game, what were your initial takeaways or what are your takeaways or your thoughts after after the game? Yeah, I mean, again, same same old problems. Can't score enough goals and, and you know, just don't look very resolute at the back. I just think that they um just the, the lack of pace at the back seemed to be really really troubling them. 
Um, you know, Shawcross looked a bit off it. You know, bad marking was in it for the third goal. Um, I just think once they let in that early, those two goals, they were pretty much deflated. And then I don't really remember them creating anything of any note at all, really. A few sort of half chances, but nothing really. It's just frustrating, isn't it? They, they, they look like they're on, on, the, on the way to sort of getting something right. And then they keep taking two steps back. So I, I just think, if anything, this break has probably come at just the, at just the right time just for them to to reassess and, re- and regroup a bit and um, make some changes. You know, as we say, the transfer markets are open now. Um, but yeah, on, on the whole, defensively, they just, it's just a lack of pace, isn't it? I think. And um, they were, they were caught out and I think DC were, were good value for the win. So for me, the overall performance was obviously not great yet again. I think we saw a little more fight, a little more energy than we did uh, in that Chicago fire loss. That was very, very poor uh, from a performance standpoint. Obviously, the result in that one wasn't as lopsided. The final result wasn't as lopsided as it was here, but I thought the performance in that Chicago Fire game was, was overall worse. thought they showed a little more in terms of those two elements, but just still not good enough. Still very, very, very subpar from the highest paid team in MLS or the most expensive team in MLS and you know the fans got into it and again we'll touch on that in a little bit but the fans clearly expressed their dismay and displeasure with what they saw in front of them and what's been building because like you just touched on at this point it looks like the team's regressing from where it was initially in the season when defensively it was solid and you know or at least better than it is now and they were getting some goals but at this point, it seems like the team's regressing because they're not scoring, they're, they're surrendering goals, they're playing very poorly, and they're doing so against some of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference, which to me is very concerning because you're not even playing the top teams yet. And that is still to come later on in the schedule, including the second game back from the international break against Orlando City, Orlando City, your rival. So there's a lot to be concerned about if you're Inter-Miami right now. I will say... While the players did not perform in this one, I think the tactics, Phil Neville's tactics, were all wrong from the start. I Look, I, I understand the idea between trying something new and looking to find a solution to the troubles that they've had in terms of the build-out, in terms of being high-pressed. But the 3-5-2 just did not work for them in this one. They surrendered those two goals in the first 21 minutes, and then he changes the formation back to the more customary 4-2-3-1 that they've used. And to me, that's a clear admission that his tactics just did not work. And, you know, I, you know again, while I put the, the result and the defeat on the players for not performing, I also put it on him for putting the players in a, in a position to not succeed because that 3-5-2 just did not work. The, they, couldn't, they couldn't defend the spaces in behind, the wide spaces in behind. Lewis Morgan and Jovan Jones are not wingbacks, not natural wingbacks. They were tasked to do so, and they couldn't perform the necessary defensive functions. The second goal, you see it clear as crystal, and there were other plays before that that were leading up. There's one that I think uh, Paredes, Paredes smashes over the crossbar from in close, and he was wide open because he, he made a trailing run and nobody picked him up. There were multiple plays. There were multiple plays leading up to the to the first goal when you were like, "Oh man, DC United's go like going to get on the board," and they eventually did off of a mistake from Nicolas Figal when he was trying to build out to to Gregori. But again, it, overall defensively, there were some shortcomings. But I think tactically in this one, that was the bigger deal. Well, look, you I mean you know you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. He, he doesn't try and change it, and then people say, "Well." 
you know, why didn't he change it? He changes it. And at least I guess he, he, you know, yeah, it didn't work. He knew that. He tried to change it again. It was probably too late. I mean, if you look at, the, you know, the Champions League final where Pep Guardiola completely changed the whole shape of his team, actually didn't play with a striker or a holding midfielder. You know, they coaches try things. Sometimes they come off and they, they look like a genius. Other times, it, they, it, you know, in this particular instance with Phil Neville, he tried it, didn't work, changed it again, didn't work anyway. And so, yeah, you know, I, I, you can't, you can be harsh in terms of, yeah, okay, the formation didn't work, but you kind of, well, you know, at least you try to change something. But I just don't think he has, he hasn't got the players. Mm. He hasn't really played like that as well. And he wanted the wing backs to get forward um, and then they can supplement the midfield. But I, I don't know whether or not a lack of pace at the back is, is kind of hold, you know, holding them back a little bit. And, you know, Shawcross was badly out of, badly out of position for that third goal. He was in no man's land, really. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, symptomatic of a team that's just not, functioning in, in all in all departments and I think if you just had a player a DP that was on his game uh, you know Iguain or whoever could just grab the grab the game by the scruff of the neck and, and really lead the team on then at least you would have some sort of you know crumb of of comfort but you know he didn't he didn't do that none of the other ones did either so you're kind of left with a bit of a mess really do you have your Manchester United 1992 pajama pants on again? Because no, I I'm, watch, not, I'm not surprised. I, <laughs> I did watch an Alex Ferguson documentary last night, which if anyone wants to watch it on Paramount Plus, I'm not getting any payment from Paramount Plus. So they want to pay me. I am available. Um, <laughs> yeah, the pod, the pod will take the the sponsor if, if it's available. <laughs> so yeah, look, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not excused. I'm not just excusing him saying this. I'm just trying to spell out if you were if you're a coach and you're trying something out. You try it, okay, and then if it doesn't come, if it comes off, you, you're brilliant. If it doesn't, you, you look silly. I mean, it, I'm not saying you look silly, but I mean, you know, you know, it's obvious that you had to change it around because it wasn't working. So, what, what do you do? You, do you criticize him for changing it? You criticize him for getting the wrong tactics? Is it you fall somewhere in the yes. middle? I mean, yes, yes, you yeah. criticize the coach for yeah. getting tactics wrong, just like you criticize a player and, for missing sure, a shot. And I'm and sure. Look, if, look, 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 if, if, hold on. I'm just sorry. If, if he was sat here. You know, he he he. I'm sure that he'd fess up and say, "Yeah, I got it wrong, or it, it didn't work. We tried something, it didn't work." I mean, it's just that's football. Well, unfortunately, Phil Neville was not asked about his formation and initial tactics in this one after the game, but he did say that he took responsibility for this. And look, before we listen to his quote, his post-game quote that I think is something that the listeners should hear if they haven't already, the performance was poor. And this is at home against one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference that has very, been that has been pretty. struggling, and you got blown out. You didn't. This is not a game. Look, the players are ultimately the biggest protagonists, and they are the ones that mostly determine a win or a loss. I, I think we can agree on that. But this is not a case of Gonzalo Higuain missing a penalty kick in the 90th minute, or John McCarthy bobbling a ball in the. 55th minute against the run of play in a match Inter-Miami was dominating. Inter-Miami was once again outplayed by and large, and this time they just happened to give up two early goals as a result of this formation that just did not work. So that, to me, is absolutely on Phil Neville. The changing of going back into the 4-2-3-1, him saying, all right, well, this didn't work. I got I have to go back to what they feel most, most comfortable in to try to manage the situation before we get blown out or see if we can get back into the game. That's a clear admission that his tactics were wrong. But let's let's listen to Phil Neville, not talk about the tactics, but talk about his responsibility in the current situation with the team. Oh, what 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 I'm a big believer in, uh, and and I won't change. And it's one of my non-negotiables is that ultimately the book stops with me. The 
book stops with me in terms of sort of like that is my team out there and we play together we win to lose we win and lose together and ultimately this moment in time we are suffering and we're suffering a lot and we're frustrated with we're frustrated with what is is happened in the last three or four games but ultimately now's not the time nine eight nine games into the season to start pointing fingers at individuals we've got to be better as a collective unit we've got to make sure that we we play better uh, and that's the way it has to be. Okay, Primo, listening to that, are you still going to say that darned if you do, darned if you don't? Because like you said, when coaches make changes, right, it's it's obviously with the idea to better the team. So obviously I'm not saying he did this to worsen the team intentionally, but I think he got it wrong in terms of his tactics. And, you know, when you do that, you're going to get criticized. Just like when you do it and things play out, play out or, or come off well, then you get praise or you get plaudits and again this is not and this is not just a one game situation they've been playing poorly for several weeks now against some of the worst teams in the eastern conference yeah i mean you know but he he admitted that didn't he he sort of did hold his hands up i'm i'm culpable the buck you know the buck stops with me that's my non-negotiable the buck the buck stops with me he he, he that's why he gets that's why he's in charge he, he he tried it it didn't work it didn't work I mean, it just it just didn't it didn't work for one reason or another. It didn't work. I think it's the personnel. The players aren't playing well. Um, yeah, he's chopping and changing it a bit. I think because he's trying to look for for solutions for something. When the, really the only solution is is to get a clean slate, and he can just wipe all the players off the roster and, and pick a whole new roster, which obviously you cannot can't do. So he's caught between a rock and a hard place. Really, you've got to deal with what you've got. This is this is where he, his coaching acumen comes in. This is why he's paid money to come and coach the team. Can he do it? It's it's it really is you know the ultimate test for a coach now. You've got to deal with it's like anything. You know the people you sell. Why don't you send you know Pep Guardiola or Jose Mourinho to go and manage in like the English fourth division? Would they still be able to get it? You know get the team up and, and be as successful as they when they spend over a billion dollars? I mean it's it's a good argument to have to see. So we're going to see now if it's, if he's capable of doing that. So there's something you said there that I'm in agreement with, but. Oh, shock horror, yeah. No, 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 but hold on, hold on. So I agree that it's ideal for a coach to lead or manage a team of players that he has by and large helped build, which is clearly not the case here. And it wasn't the case with Diego Alonso last year, and we touched on that with multiple times when it came to Diego Alonso in 2020. However, like you said, a coach is still paid to coach. And right now, I think the team has regressed from where it was at the start of the season, and I think... While you could point to individuals and performances, I think coaching has also become an issue over the last few weeks. And I think, you know, I think he's, tr I think he's overthinking things now. I think he's trying to throw things at a wall and see what sticks. He's pushing buttons to try to see what formations work, who works well with others, um, because we've seen different lineups now, multiple different lineups over the past few weeks with either Federico Iguain starting up top, or sorry, Federico Iguain starting at the ten. Or in this one, you had Julian Carranza and Gonzalo Higuain as joint number nines. Then he moved Gonzalo Higuain to the 10 spot after the 2-0. That, that didn't produce a whole lot more. So he takes out Julian Carranza in the second half, puts in Federico Higuain. Gonzalo goes back up top. Then you had, you know, Lewis Morgan starting as a right wing back. Joven Jones as a left wing back when he switched the formation. Lewis Morgan occupies the right midfield spot, so he goes a little bit higher with a little bit less defensive responsibilities. Then he's then he puts in Breck Shea at the left midfield spot, switches Lewis Morgan with Breck Shea, and they're they're occupying alternate wings. So Lewis Morgan was on the left, then he switches back. Like, there's just a lot of changing, a lot of tinkering, a lot of 
again, just trying different things to see what works. And I think that's not helping the team right now. I think getting back to the basics, getting back to the 4-2-3-1 and changing personnel is probably his safest bet to improve going forward. Because like you said, he can't wipe away the team. He can't change the roster overnight. And he's not going to be able to do that by and large over these next two, three weeks. So he's going to have to make the best of what he has. And I think going back to the 4-2-3-1, but changing some players in that lineup, including Blaise Matuidi, I think that's his best bet. That's just, But that's just my opinion. Um, I don't know if you have anything you want to add there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess we, we don't want to keep going over all ground, even though we go over all ground every week, every minute. But, um, you know, I guess this is also the fact that they didn't really have too many preseason games. He hadn't have a chance to work on things. I know they work on things behind closed doors. So all this kind of stuff now is coming to roost and just leaving him with a lot of, a lot of problems, which we anticipated them having. I'm not, I'm not excusing it. I, I, I'm, I'm all for people like changing things around, but um, yeah, maybe he was overthinking it, but I think you've just got to try and be in the moment, be fluid and just try and work things out to see what, what happens and what doesn't. And unfortunately he's having to experiment in games actual proper games that mean something rather than, you know, playing preseason friendlies when there's nothing on the line, which is which is is difficult. And I'm sure, as I said, if we were sat to sit down with him, he'd 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 agree with that 100. percent Yeah, I think I think he's at a loss for how to get the best out of this team or what the best team is. But again, I think making it simplifying things for everybody and making some tough personnel decisions, I think that can help him or and help the team. Um, you know, as much as it can, because again, this was I, also, I do we, think this we also don't not... forget. Yeah, I mean, we also don't forget this is a team that was horrible last year as well. So it's not it's not as if he's come into like a, a well oiled machine, is like dismantling it part by part. He's come into a team that were weren't were, ter- were pretty bad for the three quarters of the season last year. So they've kind of flatlined right now. Yeah, and look, the fans let that be known. The fans as they started. As they the fans started booing. If not before the third goal, definitely after the third goal happened when it was 3-0. Fans started booing the team and the performance. There were some not-so-pleasant chants after the game in Spanish, which you can find on TUDN. I mentioned them in my in my uh, post-game article for SBISoccer.com, but I didn't actually list out the chants. The chants were listed out, though, on TUDN and others, other Outlets like ESPN or SportsCenter in Espanol also posted a video highlighting or putting a light onto the the, the post-game chants from parts of La Familia. There are some profane Spanish words in there, so I will not repeat them, but again, you know where to find them. The gist of one of the messages, or one of the chants were, get everybody out, no one's worth keeping. More or less along out those lines. Or Neville. <laughs> Steve... Fans also headed for the exit doors in the 71st minute after that Ola Kamara goal. And Jorge Mas was in attendance in the stadium. David Beckham was not, but Jorge Mas was in at Drive Pink Stadium, sitting there as he normally does in that in that front row. I can't imagine he looked at that and was like, this is this is good enough. I can't imagine he sat there. I could, I could imagine him his blood boiling that something he's invested so much money into is not working out anywhere close to what is expected because again 3 to 0 to a struggling team in the Eastern Conference Inter Miami is now in 11th place with again it bears repeating the most expensive team in Major League Soccer 
and they're just not performing. And fans let it be known. Fans left the stadium. It was it was an ugly sight from that 71st minute onward because, you know, the fans, with all justification, let it be known that this is not cutting it. This is not good enough for the passionate fan base. And look, I'll say this about La Familia and the fan base in general. I'm glad that they booed. And I'm glad that they expressed their displeasure because I've covered... This I've been around this league a long time. I have seen games in a bunch of different markets, and not every fan base would react that way. Some fan bases would just be indifferent and say, "All oh, right, well, you know, we stunk up the place, but you know, live to fight another day." I am glad that Inter Miami fans have the soccer savvy and the soccer knowledge, to, and to know that this just can't be the the benchmark for what Inter Miami is. I'm glad that they expressed their displeasure. I'm glad that that pressure is being felt. So it's not just us on the media side being critical or harping on poor performances or poor poor coaching decisions. It's the fans. The fans see it. The fans are reacting to it. And that absolutely has to be something that they change. Absolutely. Jorge Mas obviously very upset in just 24 hours after he was fined $250,000 for financial irregularity, which is, again, which is, we're going to get to, but that that's not a good look, is it? So he he's also hasn't helped or their, their front office hasn't helped. Yeah, so in, in general, it wasn't a bad, it was a very bad, toward 24, 48 hours. And, and fair, no, absolutely fair play to the fans. You know, they pay their money. They've waited six years for this, for this moment to fill the stands. And they, and they saw something that was substandard. They've got every right to boo and no one would begrudge that whatsoever. No, fair, and, and that's it. You want to see that. You want to see them passionate and engaged and, and, and care, yeah. care so much that they, they want to do that. So they're well within their rights. But, you know, people running the club didn't cover themselves in glory. And then people that actually play for the club didn't cover themselves in glory anyway either so it was just a bad it was a bad few bad 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 couple of days primo i like that you use the word care because i agree if the fans are booing if they're expressing their displeasure and their frustration and their disappointment it's because they care and they want to see a team out there that performs better and that gives them something to be proud about so fully in agreement with that because i know some people are like oh well you shouldn't boo your own team but if they're booing, it's because they care. And look, I have spent some time with Vice City before the game, saw some of their pregame tailgate, talked to some fans who had concerns about the team. And that's you know that's something I'll share here, something that I noticed before the game. Whereas in other matches, I would ask fans when I talked to them, you know, how are you feeling about this one? Do you think Inter-Miami will get the win? In previous games, it, the fans, by and large, that I spoke to were like, yeah, absolutely, we're getting that W today. Etc. Etc. This time around, mostly everybody that I asked before the game, "Hey, do you think Inter Miami is going to win this one?" They would say, "I hope so." So even the fan base is starting to be a little less optimistic about the team and its standing. But again, the Vice City pregame tailgate, the the barbecue, and just the festive and passionate display was awesome. The march to the match was was a fun, good time as well. I have a video of those on Miami Total Football's YouTube page. So if you haven't seen it or you want to see it or you want to relive those moments, you can on the YouTube channel. Steve, the last thing I'll touch on in this game is something that I think was a positive development. And that's what I saw from Jay Chapman off the bench in the second half when he entered the game in the 61st minute for Blaze Matuidi. I think Jay Chapman made a case for himself to start in this one. Uh, or to start going forward, sorry. He brought new ideas. He brought energy and mobility to the center of 
the park in, in that midfield. Moved the ball very well, finished with a game-high 92.6% passing completion. I, I, I liked what he, what he brought. He also had a couple of really good plays, one where he turned in, in the midfield under pressure when receiving a pass from the back line, and another one where he hit a one-time ball into space for Gonzalo Higuain. Look, I think Jay Chapman has his own deficiencies and his own flaws in his game that could be pointed out or that might be seen at a later date. But I think at this point, he's probably an upgrade from what Blaise Matuidi's giving you. And I think that could be a change that Phil Neville makes or that he should make or should at least consider. And that's starting Jay Chapman for Blaise Matuidi because I just don't think Blaise Matuidi's giving you enough. Matuidi was better in this game, but still didn't leave a real stamp on things and then was subbed out in the 61st minute. Yeah, he's, he's just a bit more... He's like a sort of better version of like Will Trapp, don't you think? Just sort of a bit more dynamic, a bit more box-to-box, uh, decent decent on the ball, young, hungry. Um, yeah, I think he's he's, he's he's kind of impressed every time he's he's been called upon. But yeah, he's raw, but I mean, he's going to learn in this environment for sure. And um, yeah, look, it's going to be a big call to, to, to drop Matweedy. But I mean, you know, when, when has he played well? I, I really can't. Maybe the first game he played, I think I remember thinking that he did well for like 60 minutes, but he's kind of a shadow of the player. Before. I think they're realising now he's kind of a bit of a shadow of the player that he, that he was. Uh, back in 2018, when he won the World Cup, keep going on about that. It's nearly come out for three years ago now, so um, you know he's not involved. He's not involved with the French squad for the Euros, so yeah, BP I, problems. I'm I'm going to say what I honestly think in terms of Matuidi. I think he's checked out. I think mentally he's already an ex player. I don't think he's he's busting his tail or approaching things with the the seriousness required. That doesn't mean he's not training or not trying to to you know fight and play but i don't think it's it's at the level where it needs to be i mean there's he's joined in on some he recently became the ambassador of i'm not sure if it's an agency but something along those lines and it seems like he's as focused now off the field with his life off the field as he ever has been and there's a lot of things going on for him off the field again i think at this point he's practically a retired player that's just still playing um, I, I know that might be harsh, but just haven't seen the performances be anywhere near what his resume says they should be. This is a, a player that played at some of the biggest clubs in the world, that played for France's national team during the World Cup, was a starter, not not a rotation player, not someone that came in and gave you five minutes off the bench. He was a starter on that team. That was a few years ago, but again, I think mentality and mindset and effort are, are as big of a thing to do with his performances as, as anything. Um, Steve... I said that we, that would be the last thing we touch on, but you've mentioned the lack of pace at the back a couple of times. I think that's something we should also bring up before we wrap up this segment. I think that was on display in this one as well. Ryan Shawcross was probably exposed a bit in that regard on a couple of occasions at least. Nicolas Vigal had a very poor game as well. And Christian McCoon didn't look good at the back. So obviously there are defensive issues. That's something that Phil Neville pointed to and said that they have to correct, but... They're also not scoring, so there's issues all over the field. Yeah, it's a, definitely with the lack of pace, it's a it's a problem, isn't it? Because if they're just knocking a, if the teams are just knocking long balls over over the top for for, for attackers or midfielders to run in, into, they're going to fancy their chances of of getting the ball and then getting behind the the, the defense. So it's not it's not good. So that means because of the lack of pace, they probably have to play a bit deeper, and that in turn invites invites trouble if you're sitting too deep you're inviting players onto you and then you know anything can happen in that in that final third around the box so yeah and you know they were they were exposed um during that game and they have been exposed 
throughout the season with that. So that's another another issue to go. No, nothing is, you know, it's not it's not a fully functioning team as, as of yet. Um, I think a lot's going to depend on on the trades and potentially what they can do, if anything. And I'm sure we're going to get onto how they could be completely hamstrung over the next two years, anyway. Yeah, well, we have a we're going to jump into that next. Let's take a break. Let's wrap up this segment. We'll touch on the Matuidi Gate findings and what that all means. We'll break it all down for you guys after this. These fans have been amazing from day one. Even going back to when they weren't even allowed in the stadium, they used to show up and um, wind, rain, um, hail, lightning. They'd stand outside in their numbers outside the stadium, and they're a true testament to this club. Um, they can, they are at the moment the, the best thing um, and we need to start repaying that because they turn out again in their numbers tonight and they're always um, they've always got our back um, and it's tough when when you're not cheering a team that's winning at home and we're going to get there for sure um, we've got a lot of quality in our squad we've got a lot of guys that want to correct this we've got coaching staff that um, are very knowledgeable about the game and um, yeah the fans have been amazing and it, we just need to start repaying that now all right, Steve, so the day before Inter-Miami took the field and suffered this ugly defeat, they were hit with their Matuidi Gate sanctions. Matuidi Gate finally came to a close. Finally, as you had reported on last week's pod that it was coming, there was a resolution coming in the coming days, it ended up not being a points deduction, but the sanctions were hefty. They were an MLS record in terms of punishment, so... I mean, there's a lot to dissect. There's a lot to break down there. We'll try to simplify it as much as possible. Inter-Miami as a whole had to, was fined $2 million. Inter-Miami's allocation dollars for 2022 and 2023 were reduced by $2.27 million. So that will be, I believe, will be split up over those two seasons. It's not 2.27 each year. I think that's just split up into the two years. Um, former Inter-Miami CF Sporting Director Paul McDonough has been suspended from any MLS-related activity through the 2022 season, though Atlanta United announced immediately after this came out that they have parted ways with him. Sources have told me that they let him go, but the official language in the press release was that they parted ways. Mm. And finally, managing owner Jorge Mas was fined an additional $250,000 so we'll touch into everything, but ultimately they found that Inter-Miami broke the rules. We knew that was coming because they had already said that Blaise Matuidi should have been a DP. But they also revealed, MLS also revealed, that Andres Reyes, the former Inter-Miami center back, should have been a DP. So Inter-Miami was playing with five DPs last year, still finished in 10th place in the Eastern Conference. And on top of that, they also underreported the salary budget amounts for Leandro gonzalez Pires, Nicolas Figal, and Julian Carranza due to undisclosed agreements. They didn't give any more explanation as to what that means. I thought that was very interesting and eye-opening, and I think it's something we touched on during our Twitter spaces that we did immediately after this news came out. But Steve, what were your initial takeaways? What were your initial impressions from the sanctions MLS handed down to Inter-Miami? Well, my initial takeaway was that why... 
the annoyance of having to write and cover a story that breaks on the Friday over a long weekend when I was at the beach. But anyway, <laughs> that, that is, that's irrelevant. I, I'm not complaining about my job or anything like that. But, you know, when I'm with my family uh, uh, in the beach in Pompano, um, just about to have a beer, uh, it's not really what you want well, to do. Anyway, you're, 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 you're not allowed to have Friday nights off in MLS because they, they do this. This is an MLS trademark yeah. move, Friday news dump. They try, to, they try to time it at the end of the, of the news week so that – it gets as little attention as possible, and that the weekend games overshadow the news of you know what's happened because it's controversial. Because if it was good news, absolutely, it'd be the first thing they talk about Monday morning or Monday front and centers. But anyway, go, I, it's I, the c- oldest, the oldest, the oldest PR trick in the book. But I, I still didn't. <laughs> when I got, there, I had a call on Thursday night saying it's going to be announced tomorrow. I was like, I can't be at three o'clock when I was driving. I was like, it's not going to be announced. It's not going to be announced. And all of a sudden, I park up. It's like it's just been announced. Um, anyway, so look. It, you know, it was an extensive uh, investigation, and I, the findings were absolutely spectacular. Not, not in a good way. I mean, I think the previous uh, heaviest fine for a club was San Jose was 150,000. This is a two million, and you know, it's absolutely damning. A that, you know, Paul McDonough, who was, you know, I remember us writing, you know, he's Beckham's right hand man. He's pulling all the strings in South Florida, all this sort of stuff. Was clearly, he was cooking the books. I think Jorge Mass. He's been fined two hundred fifty thousand because he was on the ground and being in charge. But I think he's, I think he's taken one for the team. You can't tell me that the other owners weren't really aware of what was going on. I'd be, I'd be very surprised if, if you know Beckham and and Jose Matt and Clare and, and Masayoshi Son, they they must have been aware. In, they must have had some sort of idea of the kind of problems they were in. Obviously, Jorge Mass has taken the brunt of that. Uh, McDonald's ban is 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 sensational with its length and it's you know obviously the severity now has lost two jobs in the space of about six months. Um, but you know we were talking about points deductions and how that could affect it and that could be the worst. of what about a fine? But actually in retrospect, I was that was completely wrong. And you know the fact now that they're going to have this money taken away from them over the next two years, it's only it only works out around twenty five percent of their final allocation but it's that's still it's a lot it's that's a that's a quarter that's money they I, I believe it's that that total is divided by two it's 12.5 percent of the next season's salary budget and the one that follows but, that but the how, year it, after but that's still a significant t- amount that's still a significant amount of, of roster I mean, construction how many play, how many players could you could you buy with you know like a okay case so like 1.5 million you get a you Two, three. I mean, how, how many players would that would that finance? Depending on the cost. I mean, is it a couple of players? It could be. Is it three? It depends on on the quality of the player and how much they cost. But this is all money that goes towards those signings. So that that, that could that could be as much as three players, right? No, you're right. You're a hundred percent right in that. That this is going to probably cost them a few players, if not as early let's say, as let's this year, five. maybe next year. Yeah, I mean, let's let's say over the space of the next two years, that is probably maybe prohibited them from signing maybe five players. I mean, I mean you know, if you look at it like, like that, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, of course, of course, they can trade assets to get more allocation money, but obviously they're going to be dealing, they're going to be playing with a the deficit. They're going to be dealing with the deficit. I'll say this: look, if you're going to hit the situation, if you're going to deal with something like this. One of the best people you could have leading the way is probably Chris Henderson. So I think that they'll they're in good hands in terms of how they manage this and mitigate this, but obviously it's not ideal. This is a big, big dent in their roster construction going forward. They're probably going to have to move a player or two again. I'll reiterate that. If not this year to plan for next year, then by next year they're going to have to move 
a couple of those of those TAM level players. And you know, when you talk about TAM level players, we're talking players like Leandro Gonzalez Pires, Nicolas Figal, players that are in that category, which are starting players on this team, significant players on this team. So Yeah, I've been told I was told that that maybe two two of those two of those one or two of those players will definitely have to be sold, which is a, again that's another that's another problem, isn't it? He doesn't want to have to to, to get rid of those though that those players. So the fact that they're having to actually actively get rid of one or two of them isn't great and we're never we're not going to get this this chance for a while i don't think but you've got to really ask you know jorge mass i know he's another one that's very passionate wears his heart and his sleeve but just just from a pure thing how do they even think they were going to get away with it it's it's mind-boggling really i mean for someone that's for a league that's so sort of on top of finances and you know you know as we know mls you know would would have a would know what's going on with with miami's finances because they're part of the whole company structure you know in Miami, the clubs are part of mls how how do they think they were going to get away with it it's it's astonishing and paul madonna's been in the league for a number of years how how did he think well, they thought they just weren't going to notice it. I mean, so that's brought up be- questions. That's brought up questions. As did he do this in Atlanta? Was this done in Atlanta, or is this something that he just decided to do in Miami to try to make it work? I mean, th- this is so. There, there are other questions. There are also the questions of if this punishment is sufficient for the violations that were done. Because on the face of it, you could be like, "Wow, those are pretty hefty punishments and sanctions." But what if Inter Miami had won something of note last year, and that's something Hercules Gomez. And Sebastian Salazar touched on in their ESPN YouTube hit after this news came out. What if they would have won something? What if they would have made some actual noise last year? Then what? Does this, is this sufficient enough for that? Would this have fit the crime? Or would, would you have to take away their trophy? I mean, you know, it, obviously the t- other teams were playing at a disadvantage with regards to Inter-Miami. Obviously, Inter-Miami was still very poor. But anyway, you know, that, those are questions that people can, can touch on and talk about because... You know, maybe this wasn't harsh enough. But Inter-Miami did release uh, a press release and a statement as soon as this came out. And this is what Inter-Miami's press release said. Quote, Inter-Miami CF acknowledges that the club violated Major League Soccer's roster rules in our first season. We have worked closely with MLS to address these issues and have made significant changes in our management structure. Following our inaugural season, we took a deep look at our soccer operations leadership group and made decisions that not only strengthened our internal roster compliance measures, but also better positioned us to build a sustainable long-term competition strategy with the hiring of Chris Henderson as chief soccer officer and sporting director in 2021. Inter-Miami is an ambitious club with big aspirations. We believe our fan base, market, and ownership group propel us to be one of North America's most followed football teams in the world. We are committed to supporting our team and building a roster we are proud of. End quote. And anything of note in there, or, or is it just pretty standard for you? I mean, they are ambitious, but you've got to play within the rules. I mean, I, I just, I, you know, we don't know. We haven't seen the documents haven't been released. We don't know exactly. And there's the a lot of documents, man. There's 1,400 pages of documents according to Major League Soccer's I, press release. Listen, I'd, I'd happily, I'd happily look at them and, and pour over them. I don't think we're going to get, we're not going to get the opportunity. It'd be very interesting to see exactly what was what. They've MLS have been very tight-lipped about the exact transgressions that have, that have gone down we don't know that but i mean you know clearly something serious has gone on a two million dollar fine it's like wow you know and uh they were expecting the worst for sure they were very worried you know phil neville and, and the people that he brought in you know realized quickly that there had been a mess from last season that needed cleaning up um and yeah rightly they were they were very worried about it and they've uh, all their fears and unfortunately 
come to roost. It's not the end. I mean, it's not the end of the world. I mean, like we said, it's only what 12 and a half percent of the allocation money uh, has gone per the next two seasons. So they can trade and bring stuff back. But it's just it's just a it, it doesn't help. It's another headache. And it's just a bad it's a bad look. You know, oh, he's talking sure. about he's talking about big aspirations and being one of the most followed football teams in the world, committed to supporting our team and building a roster we're proud of. But it's not a good look, and other other clubs will be looking at that, thinking, "Really? Is that is that is that the way that you try to go about? It? Is that how you're going to be?" Oh, they're going to they're going to get those cheater label for a long time, like from other fans, from other people yeah. around the league. That that's going to stick with them, and that's that's a question I had for you. How do you think David Beckham and Jorge Mas, but more so David Beckham? How do you think they've reacted to this? I mean, they knew it was coming. They've had to know that this was this was on the way, obviously. But how do you think they're reacting to the the public image, especially David Beckham, who's you know someone that's so squeaky clean about his public image and his brand? Yeah, he's probably he's probably embarrassed about it. We, you know, we don't know how much he he knew what was going on. He wasn't here. Mm-hmm. He's obviously in very close contact with with Jorge Mas. Did he divulge everything that was going on? Was it was it Paul McDonald that was doing stuff, and then they've only just found out about it? I mean, I, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. Maybe look. I don't think Beckham. You know, he's got so much other stuff going on. Is he, is he pouring over contracts and looking at it? That's why he's got people in place right. to do that. We don't know that for sure. Right. But this was Jorge Mas's role. That was his thing. He was on the ground. I'm sure that his people, his lawyers, legal team, the guy is a, is a, is a, a you know a business magnate, a construction magnate. He's probably got a very high powered legal team around him that must have been looking o- over things. So we we don't really know. We're not going to get. We're not going to get a chance to to answer that. To get answers to those questions, but no, I think it's it's embar- it's embarrassing for 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 Beckham and for you know uh, Matteo Son and, and Marcelo Clare and, and and these guys. Um, it's just it's it's not it's not a good look. Well, it, this definitely needs to be added. This was part of MLS's press release. It says the investigation found no wrongdoing on the part of Inter Miami owners Marcelo Claudia, Masayoshi Son, Jose Mas, and David Beckham. But the press release did say. As managing owner of Inter Miami, Mas, and we're talking about Jorge Mas here, approved all player-related agreements and transactions. He was ultimately responsible for making sure Inter Miami had sufficient controls and protocols in place to ensure compliance with MLS rules. While Mas was cooperative with the league's investigation and, importantly, alerted league investigators to critical information regarding undisclosed player agreements, investigators found that he failed to disclose his knowledge of the Matuidi violation at the appropriate time required under MLS rules. So... They knew about this. They knew about this. Now, you know, there's still a lot of questions, and I, you know, I imagine at some point we'll have a chance to speak to Don Garber, and you know, he's not going to be able to evade the questions forever. So, I am curious to understand what undisclosed agreements were made, or what that means with regards to the player transactions, what Paul McDonough did in that regard. I'm curious as to how Inter Miami was discovered. Did Jorge Mas point the finger and come out and, and say these things up front? Was he the one that initially said, look, we, we cooked the books, you know, and I'm just trying to get ahead of it now? Or was it something else that came through? Because remember, initially it was, you know, it had been reported out there publicly that Paul McDonough was not subject to the investigation. And that turned out to be incorrect because he very, be much, he very much was. Yeah, we, we, we suspected at the time that... It was you impossible know, for him not to be, right? It was impossible. Yeah. And he, he was, he probably fed them... You know that line, and and also maybe it was a maybe it, we're just you know guessing here, but I mean obviously he was sacked. He probably wasn't particularly happy about that. He lost a good job. Um, you know, was this him kind of tipping MLS off and letting them know? But then 
he also let them know about something which actually caused his demise. He'll probably never work in football again. So a lot of questions. We don't have a lot, a lot of answers for it other than just, you know, what the potential ramifications are. We don't know the real ins and outs. And I don't think we're ever going to find out, unfortunately. I think we're going to see how Inter Miami approaches this because they, they keep saying they want to be a big club. They want to be a team that fights for trophies. But this is going to hinder their ability to do so. Maybe they can still manage through it. Maybe so. But like we said on the spaces... This is going to open the door for other players to step up and, and perform. But in my opinion, I think it's going to be end up being younger players, cheaper players, you know, because they're going to lose some of that, that TAM, some of those TAM-level players. So they're going to have to maybe rely on the Josh Penns or Edison Asconas or other players in the academy or in the Fort Lauderdale CF team because, they're, again, they're, they're not going to be able to operate at the same level that, that other teams will. And another thing that should be added as well is that the end of MLS's press release said that Inter-Miami has undertaken significant proactive reform efforts to ensure that the club is fully compliant with MLS rules going forward. Basically, so, don't do it again. Otherwise, you will be in serious, serious trouble. Um, yeah, yeah they'll, and they'll, they'll, get, they'll get relegated. <laughs> yeah, you're going to go have to go and play against Boca United next year. I mean, you know, no, of course. And they're going to be in underneath even more scrutiny now. They're yeah. going to be keeping even more of an eagle eye on. So it's it's not good. The only one thing you could potentially say is that as a result of all this, it could create some sort of siege, ment- siege uh, mentality uh, within the club, like us against them, which, and again, sorry to keep bringing him up, but Alex Ferguson, when he was in Manchester United, <laughs> and I was still Neville about this, he was very good at creating like an us and them. They hate us, they hate us, Don't you know, which a lot of soccer managers use. But everyone hates us, let's go and prove them wrong. So there is an element of that, but it's not a good, um, it's not the way, good way to go about it at you, all. You don't have a Sir Alex Ferguson sponsorship deal, do you? I think, I'm starting to think you just might. I'm starting to think you just might. Look, I, well, last question I'll ask view on this segment and about this is because again I, I don't think we've mentioned this no players were found having done any wrongdoings according to the press release so not Matuidi not Andres Reyes not nobody none of the players however what do you think is a best way or what do you think is one way to mitigate these upcoming financial roster building losses because for me I think and we touched on this on the spaces last week I think one way is to get DPs that perform on a week-in and week-out basis because that will help, you know, raise your overall performance and maybe not miss those TAM players so much. But obviously that requires moving the ones you have in place now that are not cutting it. And I mentioned Raul Ruiz Diaz, the Peruvian striker who plays in Seattle, not the flashiest or sexiest name. He's not even the star striker on Peru's national team, far from it. But in MLS, he performs on a weekly basis, scores goals, gets assists, and helps that team win games. So I think finding players of that caliber or of that mold that can perform regularly, even if they're not the biggest names, I think that could be one way to help to help mitigate this. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, look, I'm sure that in, in Chris Henderson's office, he's got a bit of whiteboard with players and their and their salaries or whatever their value is, and he's they're going to have to put lines through them. And I think, like I said, I, I was told that you know it's going to come down to the likes of Figal, Gonzalez, Gonzalez Perez, and Carranza. One, two, one or two of those are going to have to be sold. They're going to have to get rid of them to then create more more money to spend, which can go go elsewhere. So it's like I say, it's not the end of the world, but it's a massive problem for them and they're going to have to cut their cloth accordingly. And that means losing one or two of their, of their, of their main guys. So it's, yeah, it's, it's an, just an extra headache. They just, they didn't need and makes 
they're worried that they're not going. This will going to this is going to stop them from competing over the next couple of years. So we'll have to wait and see. They're right now, they're not, they're not competing anywhere right now. So I mean, but you know, moving ahead, are they able to build the roster that he wants? And it's going to be difficult because they're going to have to get rid of players now before they sell, before they buy. Sorry. Yeah, and th- so this has been a jam-packed segment, just like the first one was. Obviously, this is going to be a jam-packed episode because of everything that's going on. So we'll stop there. There is a bit of breaking news or. Some news being reported on Twitter, but I'll share that after after we take a quick pause and we come back after this. Okay, Steve, let's get to the Q&A session because we have a very healthy one this week. There are a lot of questions, as you can imagine, after this dreadful performance and this poor run of form. However, like I just mentioned at the end of the last segment, there is some news that came out regarding Rodolfo Pizarro that I just saw. And it's from a reporter named Fernando Ceballos. And he says, it's in Spanish, but I'll just read it. I'll translate it quickly in English. Rodolfo Pizarro could return to Liga MX this summer. Different situations have happened or have occurred in recent weeks that have caused them not to be entirely happy in Miami. So, looks like Rodolfo Pizarro, at least the the rumor mill is starting to churn with regards to him a little bit more. I know you've said that they that they were looking to deal him, but it looks like it's starting to churn a little bit more now. Yeah, I'm sure his, his name is on Chris Henderson's whiteboard in massive letters with all his numbers, and that is definitely one they will want to, they do want to, Move him on for one reason or another. He hasn't performed. He's probably one of the biggest earners. Um, you know, they want to recoup some of the transfer money. And so I think, you know, I think it would suit all parties if he was to if he was to leave. I, I don't think anyone would particularly miss him. Um, I don't think they haven't been pleased with him, certainly this season. I mean, yeah, he, he fits and spurts last year, but not, not that great. I think this is a key one for them. It's a DP which they can move on. They know he's not happy. There could just be a parting of the ways, and then we, they can recoup some of that money we've just talked about. Yeah, so we'll touch on that as more news develops surely in the coming weeks. But Rodolfo Pizarro right now is with Mexico. He is training with them. Um, don't believe he's on the roster for the upcoming CONCACAF Nations League games, but he is with them on international duty and at least taking part in training. So Q&A time, Steve. Uh, let's start with, and there's a few that are just directed at you, so I might just let you answer them and not chime in this time because we have a bunch. But let's go with this first one from Broski Ciderworks, which hilarious, hilarious. These games are just making us drink more ciders. Franco and El Tío de los Primos. <laughs> what do we do with our back line? So many missed marks, so many off positions. We can't handle the press. Any saving grace? Um, well, we've you know we've we've touched on it already, isn't it? They, we need they need some sort of uh, some sort of injection injection of pace because if they play too far up the pitch, then they're gonna just balls are just gonna be put over the top, and then players are gonna run onto it. And, th- and that's it. So they have to try and work out a way to. I mean, you can't inject any pace into Ryan Shawcross uh, right now. So it's uh, you know, it's a bit, I mean, if you could maybe, but then they they could could get another another fine for that. When you know, Phil Neville found to be injecting pace into. People. <laughs> um, but it's a problem. It's a big problem. Look, I know the defense hasn't played well, and I know you see the goals given up, and and people tend to obviously, understandably so, point the finger at defenders. 
I think for me, just my viewpoint, the defense is the least of my concerns when it comes to Inter-Miami. I think the defense is the strength of Inter-Miami right now because, yes, they haven't had great games. Yes, they gave up three goals. Again, I put a lot of that on the tactical game plan, which didn't suit them this past weekend. But I think when Leandro González-Pires is back and healthy because he has been dealing with uh, an injury, when you have Nicolás Figal, when you have... Ryan Shawcross, I think, is a, a number three option for me. Although Phil Neville seems to, to like him as a starter. And you have likes of Kelvin Leardam. You know, Jovan Jones is, is serviceable. Brett Shea is serviceable. You've got Kieran Gibbs coming. You've got Nick Marsman coming. So I think the defense, by and large, is going to be okay. Now, if they give up goals, it's not always necessarily just their fault. There are, you know, defending is a team effort. Obviously, center backs and fullbacks have the brunt of the responsibility defensively but it's not just on them it's a team effort and you saw in this like in this last game with the wing backs not getting back and not doing not fulfilling their defensive functions that puts the center backs in tough situations where they have to put out fires and obviously they're expected to but eventually the defense will bend and break if you're under so much pressure so yeah, it's not a lost it's, cause. It's, but it's fixing, not a lost cause, it, yeah. But, yeah, it's fixing the midfield and the the forwards and the functioning of the team, getting more possession, being able to play under pressure. That to me is more is what will help the overall state of the team, including the defense. So that, but that's just that's just my opinion. Okay, next question comes from Alonso El Inca Primo. Why David? Why has David Beckham not spoken yet? Uh, spoken what since the since, announcement? Since the sanctions, I'm, I'm imagining. It's not going to want to get involved. I mean, you know, they've they they tend people just tend to bunk you know, head into the bunker when stuff like this happens, and um, you know, not not just rely on the on the the, the team press release to to answer any questions and, and Phil Neville to front out. He was I asked him about it after the game on on Saturday uh, Saturday night, and you know, he didn't really say too much other than you know they they knew it was coming and they told the players and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So don't expect Beckham to be out talking about it. I don't think we'll probably ever hear from him about that. I don't think Jorge Mas probably will never speak about it until the next time we speak to him, probably be at the end of the season. So um, you know, they're just yeah, they want to. It's damage limitation. That's why they released it um on a the Friday night of a, of a long weekend while everyone was on the beach or in the pub. Yeah, the fact that, listen, the fact that David Beckham's Instagram account has, you know, he's continued just going about his business on there, it's like this never happened as far as he's concerned. You know, he's got a, he's got pictures with his family, he's got pictures of himself, he's actually got a shirtless one right now. He said, yep, this is England, this is what we do. When the sun comes out, we take our shirts off. So as far as he's concerned, at least public persona, it hasn't happened. Obviously, internally, he knows what happened. I agree with you that it might be tough for us to get an answer from him. But at some point, he's going to make another public appearance, right, where he speaks. And and someone's going to ask him, and he's going to have to respond for it. I imagine so. I imagine so. Yeah. We'll We'll see. I think, think, to be honest, the only way that we'd be able to get full transparency exactly what has gone down is if we actually ever see or someone is able to get their hands on the investigation, which I just don't – I don't think that's going to happen, is it? So, um, So there you go. All right, so the next question comes from Josh. Not a question, but he said, Robbie Robinson injury update would be amazing. Unfortunately, we don't have an update there. 
I imagine that he'll take the next few weeks to really rest and recover and, and try to get himself back to full health. Next question comes from Preki Lives. How do you think the Matuidi Gate penalties will impact the club's transfer window plans? We already touched on that. So unless you have anything you want to add there, Steve, we can continue forward. No, all, all I will say is that if they, I think if they get rid of Pizarro, they could, they could, they could bring in another DP, and and, and who knows who that will be. So that that's one crumb of comfort. Again, I'm using crumb of comfort again. Um, <laughs> that possibly, you know, at least there's a bit of movement with Pizarro. I think that that's good because you know we keep going on about it. The the, the the DPs are the ones that are supposed to be dragging the team along. They're not doing that. Who knows who he, who they can get in with the money that they're going to get for Bizarro and to free up. So let's let's see what happens. Okay, next question comes from Atlanta Herons. Based off of the fan reaction Saturday night, is it safe to say the honeymoon period is over with this club? Primo, you're up first. Um, yeah, I think that that was over. I think the back end of the last season, wasn't it really, when the team was sort of not doing great? I think, uh, yeah, there's been a quite, a lot, quite a lot of water under the bridge in there so far now. So uh, we're past that. Is it at the end of Phil Neville's honeymoon? I don't know. I mean, maybe. I don't think he ever really had a honeymoon, did he? He was kind of straight into it and realising quickly that, that you know, it was, it's good, this is going to be tough. So um, the honeymoon is long gone. The, the pictures from the wedding have already been processed. Everyone's <laughs> back. Looking at the videos and just wondering what, what, where it all went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I actually that don't. That didn't happen to me, by the way. That didn't happen to me. <laughs> I actually don't know if I agree with that. I actually think the honeymoon period is still there. I, like, I understand that there's fan frustration and disappointment, but I think the fans are still so engaged. Like, I don't know, honeymoon period being over to me would be like, you know, some people would just be like, all right, I'm not going to watch this team, which I have heard some oh, no, people I say. I didn't take it as that. I didn't okay. take it. I thought you meant the honeymoon period like over for the the fact that the team is new or whatever. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't for one minute suggest that the fans were going to give up, if, if anything. on the. Well, I have heard some fans say that they're not going to go spend X hundred dollars with tickets and parking and blah, blah, blah. I have heard some fans say that if, you know, if the team's going to be this bad. So, um, you know, I guess for some people, the honeymoon period's over, but I have to say by and large, I don't, I don't think so, by and large. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say it would take a couple more seasons of really disappointing play and, and not contending for... For something like that to happen, for the honeymoon period to really end, because the brand is big, it's bold, it's sexy, it's got David Beckham's name attached to it, so that on its own will will keep people interested for for a good while. So next question comes from Elder Bar. Seems like many egos out there, and Phil is having a hard time managing them. He's got a decent squad, and it's pretty obvious he can't coach a team. Is it even worth demanding his exit, or does he have that Beckham protection? Any chance we see Rodolfo Pizarro ten soon? Um, no, 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 they can't sack him. I mean, no, I mean, yeah, he, he is. I guess there is an element of protection because it's his friend that then pointed him. But come on, <laughs> I'm I mean, glad you know. admitted it. I'm glad you admitted it. I think it's the first time no, I've ever heard, you've ever heard it. <laughs> it's no, no, of course, of course, he had it's his, and also it's Beckham's appointment. So he's not gonna, you talk about him being embarrassed about the, the, um, you know, the financial stuff. I mean, you know, he's not gonna do that having just appointed him with such fanfare, only, you know seven games ago something like it's too early it's way too early and also he's he's you know sometimes they say well you know teams can't be judged or, or coaches can't be judged until they've had a full transfer window or a full sort of season of buying players behind them so that's way too it's too early right now i'm not just saying that you think i'm, I'm sort of you know bigging him up or whatever but i no, it's it's, it's no, too I early he has, he has to be judged at the end of the season but also with a 
I think, with a proper ability to buy and sell players, which they haven't really had too much. So, um, and they're not going I'm, to, apparently, because they're going to be well, no, in meant, that regard. What I meant is is that um, is to have his own the sure, squad sure. of his own mark on it. And sure. he's, he's getting there, but he hasn't... You know, a lot of these players weren't his. That's what I meant. No, I agree. I, listen, I agree with you. I don't think he's going to be under the hot seat anytime soon. I think the performances could continue like this, and he would not be under that much scrutiny from the leadership positions because, like you just mentioned, he is David Beckham's former teammate. Because they're too busy scrutinizing themselves, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> David Beckham's friend and David Beckham's you know business partner. So, like, like the question is, is it even worth demanding his exit? No, it's not. It's not no. even worth it because it's, it's not going to happen. I. They could finish outside the playoffs this season, and he will not be let go. I, I could not see him being let go after one year. I think they're going to give him a longer leash and the type of time that Diego Alonso was not afforded. So yeah, it's oh, Rob, he, he, I mean, he had a season. I mean, let's let's look at it. At the end sure, of the but season Phil, ne- Phil Neville's not getting fired after one season. I, I'll put, no, I'll I'll put saying, money I'm on that, that right but... now. I'm not a, I'm not a betting man, but I'll put money on it right now that Phil Neville does not get fired no matter how Inter Miami finishes. They could finish but... in last place. They're in eleventh right now. They could finish in last place in the Eastern Conference, and he still will not get fired. Sure, but the time to assess. Yeah, his coaching credentials or what he's done, I think, to be fair, would be at the end of the season. And even then, you've still got to say a lot of the players weren't here, blah, blah. And it depends, obviously, what happens now with the transfers. Hey, Diego, um, Alonso, didn't, Diego Alonso didn't get that opportunity to build a roster that he that he wanted, by and large, and he, he was let go. So, But again, I don't think I don't think he's going anywhere. Phil Neville's going to be here for no. at least a couple seasons, if not more. Let's see, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens at the end of the season, and we can we can talk again. <laughs> and as far as any chance we'll see Rodolfo Pizarro soon, well, given what we just said a few minutes ago... We'll see him soon on Liga, in Liga MX, I think. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's looking less and less likely that, that he plays for Inter at Miami again. Maybe. Maybe they give him some games once once things pick back up again because they're in a bad way and maybe they want to raise his value a bit before negotiating his exit. But I think his days are certainly numbered with uh, with the team. Next question comes from Jorge Medina. Where was Pizarro on Saturday? Where does this club go from here after this catastrophic lo- loss? Looking way too far ahead on this one, but predictions for the Orlando game at home. So, I appreciate the effort and the desire, but I'll, I'll withhold the prediction part from Orlando because they have another game before that. we got to see how they how they perform in that one before we can really assess the Orlando City game. Obviously, that's a matchup between a team that's near the top of the Eastern Conference and a team that's near the bottom. So, um, we'll see, we'll see how, how things shape up. Right before then. Um, as for Pizarro, we were told he was suffering from an injury, and that's why he was not on the game day roster. But I am not sure I entirely buy that, given everything that's happened in recent weeks, given what's coming out now. I think it's pretty, in my opinion, I think it's pretty clear that Pizarro is not rated by this coaching staff, um, and that they're trying to, you know, they're trying to find a way for him to to move on to something else because it just hasn't hasn't necessarily worked here. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that that's that's right. And there seems to be a, a like I say, a bit of movement. He's not happy. I think for both parties, it'd probably be better for him. You know, he wants to he wants to be playing. He wants to be in the shop window. He wants to play international international football. Um, it's going to be no good if he's sat on the bench playing for Inter Miami. So um, right, hope the agent's working. The club are working to try and move him on. So let's see what happens. 
Yeah, and, and obviously for Miami, it's not good to have your DP, one of your DPs sitting on the bench and, or not playing. So um, no. best probably best for all parties at this point to, to part ways and figure out uh, a proper divorce. Um, and as for how the team moves on from here, I think we touched on that a little bit earlier ago. I think simplifying tactics and, and you know getting healthier, trying to get healthier helps because, again, Leandro González-Pires should be back when the games resume. Maybe Robin Robinson can come back. You uh, you get Nick Marsman and Kieran Gibbs shortly thereafter. They're expected to join the team soon for training. I think Kieran Gibbs was already in the United States and he came into a Brooklyn Nets game the other day. He posted on his Instagram story. So expect some changes for the better to happen in the short-term future. Next question, and though it's not a question, it comes from Lucho Lalo, 1896. All I've got to say is we have to show up against Orlando. We need to pack the stadium. We can't lose against them. We need everyone on deck. I can go losing every other game, but not against those POSs up north. Everyone has got to go Friday, June 25th. Show up, exclamation point, exclamation point. So the euphoria is there for the Sunshine Classico. I'm really looking forward to that one, with especially with a, a stadium that can be at capacity. That should be a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, that, that could be a very special, special atmosphere in an event. Yeah, and a good another good Man United story. Nanny coming up against Phil Neville. You see, every 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 opportunity. There's just... <laughs> at, every, at every opportunity, you bring it up. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, did they actually play together at United? I can't actually remember. They would have played against each other in the Premier League. So oh, that's man. that's one preview to look forward to. Oh, just man. like with Gabriel Heinze as well. Oh. Yap Stam. We've been it's been brilliant. Manchester yeah. United everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> Now, the the listeners either love you or hate you at this point. Um, no, I'm giving them. I'm giving people a football education, so that's it for free. <laughs> oh man! All right. Next question comes from. Was well, not a question, but again, it's a comment from Lloyd Halebrun. While I'm not sure they are worth watching anymore, just a reminder that you're going to that you were going to research the Palm Beach County TV situation. Thanks. I'm still working on that. Haven't been able to get an answer for you, but I again, Lloyd, I my word to you, I will get you uh, an, an answer. In the short-term future, still working on that though. Um, but even even the wording of Lloyd and other people's questions, as you can as you can start to hear the trend, is that you know people are very disappointed, man. You know, I'm not sure they're worth watching anymore. He he says. Obviously, I think some of these are um, you know in the moment. Obviously, the emotions are running high after yeah. the loss. But clearly, clearly, the fan base is is pretty pretty unhappy right now. Next question comes from Gabe P. This one's directed at you, Steve. Primo, why is Neville's son playing as a center midfield when he was playing as a right back at Manchester United's academy? Can you call your sources in England and give us a proper update on how he was and what were his chances of getting to the first team? If he was a right back, why not play him there now? Good, Yeah, good question. I, look, I haven't been really looking into Fort Lauderdale's uh, tactics. So I, I don't know why he was playing in center midfield. He's clearly versatile, versatile like his dad who was a fullback and then actually, then actually played centre midfield for Everton um, for a decent part of his career. Um, although his uncle Gary was a right back and didn't play in midfield at all. Um, he's a fullback, I think. I thought initially, I thought when I was looking up his stuff when he signed uh, United, it was unclear if he was a centre half or a fullback. But I'm assured that he is a fullback, uh, but clearly a little bit versatile and can play in midfield as well. So, yeah, and I think it, if he does well and there's an opening, um, then you know he would uh, he'd get the call up. I think Phil Neville even said in the press conference when we were talking about it that you know he, it's a difficult one for him and he's let other people at the club make decisions about his son. So it's it's a difficult situation for him to manage, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, look, he played center midfielder. He played as a center midfielder in the scrimmage, the final preseason scrimmage 
before the season started. So that's why when he was eventually signed, I didn't expect him to play right back with Fort Lauderdale CF. They have options there, so he has been playing central midfield, and I imagine that's where they project him. They project him going forward because if he's a right back, why would you play him in center midfield? Like that's just, just you know that doesn't really make make sense. Not not consistent uh, thought process in that way unless you you saw him there um, longer term. Anyway, next question comes from Tank Seven Two One. What does the team do now? Who do you see starting in DC? Also, Primo, what is your cocktail of choice? Martini shaken, not stirred. <laughs> very good, very drink one. Uh, you know what? It's a while since I. It's sad to say, a while since I've only had a cocktail. Do you like them on a bit of vodka and soda, or an old fashioned maybe? Okay. But I could tell some bad stories about whiskey that I'm not going to tell on this family <laughs> show. Um, maybe yeah, vodka, vodka and soda maybe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've become a very big margarita guy as of late, as as I know you know, Steve. So. Um, mm. I know the question wasn't directed at me, but margarita is probably my uh, my cocktail of choice right now. Um, no margarita pizza, just to be clear. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and as for what does the team do now? I think I've, I think we've touched on it a couple times now, so we can we can skip that part. Um, and who do you see starting in DC? We'll wait till we get a little closer to the game, till we do a proper podcast previewing that match before we do that. So let's move on because we still have a few more questions. I think we only have a couple more. The next one comes from Don Cafecito. Was hoping to see us going to play more next match given how crap the team has played. I stopped there because there's a, a profane word that I will not share on this family show. But the question continues. Instead, he was sent back to Fort Lauderdale. My guess is Henderson has something in the works and will sign a new player or bring back Mabika to fortify our awful back line. Thoughts? So I think they're just sending him to Fort Lauderdale so you have to get games and to... to you know, get a rhythm and get more playing time because obviously Inter Miami's off for the next few weeks, so they're not going to be able to give him minutes, and he hasn't been getting all that many minutes in the recent game. So I think this is an opportunity for him, the young player, to continue to develop by playing games with Fort Lauderdale. So you have the benefit of having a USL League One team right in the same backyard. Yeah, yeah, definitely helps. That's why it's you know it's such a such a good setup, and it just enables them just to to mix and match. But I mean, I guess effectively, it just works as an, an old school sort of reserve team, isn't it? Really, but um, yeah, it, it gives them gives them more options for sure. Yeah, and, and it helps groom him maybe for the future because again, going back to the target allocation money hit they're going to take in the next couple of years, they're going to need other players to step up. So someone like him might have more of an opportunity, and grooming him now and giving him some more. Some more playing time now and experience might be able to help them going forward. Also, if you haven't seen Mitch Curry's goal from the Tuesday night game, check it out. It was a really good goal. Really good goal. Some skill, some speed, and some composure in the box. Stuff that we haven't really seen from Inter Miami by and large. Um, So maybe Mitch Curry's one to keep an eye on. Last question, I believe, comes from Prison Mike. And he says, I'm baffled how this club can just spend on players blindly without having a coach. Then we don't get the coach they want, and we end up getting a great coach with a team that wasn't his. We still made the playoffs. Yeah, I know the circumstances, etc. Then gets fired. We get rid of so many players with a new coach, and he can't seem to find a way to make the most expensive MLS team work out a decent game. Not asking to win every game, but we are getting embarrassed out there. Now, we know most of the fault is the coach, but does he survive the chopping block? Well, hold on. Let's just let's just go back right to this, like the start of last season when you know Paul McDonough was in charge without actually a coach and he bought a load of players 
And so he then this was obviously created like a sort of snowball effect where we've now got to the point where a season a bit in, the team is struggling pretty much off the bad business that was done initially to create. And that was all exacerbated because there was such a rush, wasn't it? The stadium was being built, the team's being built, there was no manager. You know, Diego Alonso wasn't appointed until the January. I mean, he was recruiting players from August. So what went on in that period? We're clearly we're finding out in dribs and drabs now, but what went on in that initial period wasn't good, and that has had a knock-on effect for the whole thing. I'm not ex- excusing anyone, but like the coaching staff, but that's what they were dealing with. And so when you look at what's actually happened and gone down, it's, it's remarkable, really, the, the mess they got themselves into. And thinking now, actually, that P- Paul McDonough was in charge for three or four months of that period. So, you know, God knows what, what went down. So your answer to the question is... <laughs> Uh, my answer to the question is just take that into consideration when you're looking and, and trying to completely sort of, you know, hammer, you know, the coaching staff or the players or whatever right now. Yeah, they're not doing great right now, but they would dealt, I think, a pretty bad hand to start with. Uh, look, I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to ask you this. If you had to give me a percentage, I'm going to put you on the spot, Steve. But I, I think people will want to hear your answer and I want to hear your answer. Right. You can plead the fifth if you want, but I, I think I don't think listeners will take well to that. Um how much? Give me a percentage of how much of what's going on right now you put on Phil Neville. Uh, just in general, throughout the whole team. Yeah, just the recent results, the recent performances. I mean, you can't put a percentage on it. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I don't know. I guess maybe fifteen percent. Fifteen percent. Okay. Okay. I'd give him. I mean, that, I'd give him more. Yeah. I'd give him more. But that's yeah. just, that's just. Me. I mean, he's culpable, but he and it, it, that is what he keeps saying. The buck stops with me. To be fair, okay, fine. The buck does stop with him. He's Look, the this, coach. I'll say this, I'll say this, and then and you can chime in and then we'll give our final thoughts. This team, and I've said this on other, I've written this, I've said this on, on the YouTube channel, I've said this on other occasions. There are teams that are better than the sum of their parts, and Inter-Miami is the complete opposite because on paper, the starting team should be competitive, at least a team in the upper half of the Eastern Conference. And now, right now, we're eight games into the season, and Inter-Miami is in 11th place. Is there time for them to turn it around and change things? Absolutely. But I don't think any of us had a team going 2-4-2 and two through the first eight games. We're almost at a quarter of the way through the season, if not at a quarter of the way through the season. So clearly that's, that's a big strike. They've been losing to some of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference. And not only losing, but getting outplayed. Outplayed by some of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference, despite having the highest paid team, the most expensive team in MLS. That, to me, is concerning. That, to me, is more than just players. I think that coaching has comes into the part now because they should be further up on the table right now. And the, the last few games, at home, away from home, they've been consistently very poor. Now, we can say the DPs aren't performing and all that, but at the end of the day, the coach still has to get the most out of all of his players. And it's not just on the DPs. Practically no one is performing well right now. Very few players are performing well right now, and that you that just that's just not on. That's not always just on the players. That also goes to the coaching staff and the work that's being done uh, behind the scenes. He said he said a couple of times now we need to do better. I need to, I need to be better. You know they they that's it. He I don't think he's not. He doesn't shy away from admitting that, that they're making they're making mistakes. I just I do think they were dealt a bad hand, but I'm not ex- not looking to excuse them, but. It's just, a, I think it's a culmination. It's just like a mad co- connection of, of everything. We were hearing, obviously, last year that what a mess behind the scenes it was. And they couldn't believe what they were seeing. And just all these things, just all, they all just add up, don't they, I think? It just um, it just sounds like it's just like a, it's a tumultuous sort of 
ever-changing environment they're dealing with and just you know bombs keep being dropped and it's just like wow you know what the hell what they're going to do now so um you know it all parts of the franchise have kind of been affected by everything else that's gone on. That's not excusing anyone. That's just a fact. Okay. Well, that does it for the Q&A session. It was a lengthy one. And this has been a lengthy pod. So, Steve, let's wrap up with our quick final thoughts and we'll call it a week. Listen, look, I know the, the, the fans are they're upset and they have every right to be. They've got every right to boo. You know, like we said, we like that. I just, um, I just think it's still early days in the season. The signs haven't been that great. I, do, I think I do think, and I'm just hoping that if this bizarre thing can can go through, and they and they can bring in a DP that can actually pull his weight and actually contribute, then that potentially you may see something a bit better. So let's let's see what happens over the next few weeks. But everyone else, keep singing, keep going mad, but just try, stay calm. Yeah, look, I like that the fans are demanding. I know I said that earlier on the pod, but I'll reiterate that I like that the fans are demanding better performances and better results because this is a team that was sold to them as being one that would be elite in Major League Soccer, that would compete and contend for titles right off the bat, that would be near the top of the table. And instead, they're getting a team that's at the bottom of the table, that's losing games on a regular basis, and being outplayed by and large, not only just being outplayed, but being played outplayed by and large by some of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference. But my final thought is this. Anyone that's followed Inter-Miami, be it media, be it fans, be it Inter-Miami faithful, anyone that's followed the team in recent weeks has been subjected to a lot of bad soccer. Very few goals and emotions in the attacking third, a lot of frustrating mistakes on the defensive third, poor play in the midfield. So there's an international break that we're about to go through. There will be international games. Enjoy them. Try to watch them. Take them in, be it on the computer or on the TV. Take them in and enjoy them because there should be some Good soccer on display, be it CONCACAF Nations League or Bowl World Cup qualifiers down in South America. I'm really looking forward to watching Peru play on a personal level. They get to play Colombia on Thursday, so I'm looking forward to that and hopefully seeing some goals and some good soccer. But that does it for this week's pod. As always, make sure you give us a review, please, if you haven't already. We'll try to be back next week if we can, if there's enough things to talk about, but Inter-Miami might not have much availability, especially since they'd said that it would give some players some time off to decompress. So not sure if we'll be back next week. If we're not, we'll return in two weeks ahead of the game against DC United. But we will try to return next week if there's enough to talk about. For Steve Renner, I am Franco Panizo. Thank you so, so much for listening to this jam-packed episode of Miami Total Football Radio. And we'll talk to you guys all again soon.